It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 204, Nebuchadnezzar's Dream. Daniel is in his second year of his schooling. He's passed the Christian in college test, and he and his friends were gifted with knowledge and insight and great wisdom. Daniel further was given the gift of interpreting dreams and visions, the gift of prophecy. Every king needs a prophet, and every king needs godly wisdom. Every king a prophet. I like the sound of that. Daniel becomes a prophet to King Nebuchadnezzar in this scene, and I'm guessing he is only about 13 years old. Hard to imagine, but this is a strange culture. The Neo-Babylonians just became an empire. Nabopolassar started it by destroying the Assyrians. Strange Nebuchadnezzar now rules it. He's in his 20-ish, maybe early 30s, and he's conducting his own wars, and he has harems and eunuchs and all host of things, and he's doing um, all sorts of unusual things as he builds his empire. He's getting that ultimate power thing already going to his head at incredibly early age. Now, Daniel's schooling isn't even complete when something life-threatening happens to the advisors, magicians, and the host of people that serve Nebuchadnezzar. Here's what happens. Daniel 2. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what had happened, what he had dreamed. I heard one description of the Babylonians as, think Stephen Hawking and a witch put together. And it's a strange, funky culture of um, intelligence and learning and literature combined with all of this magician stuff and a strange mix of superstitious witchcraft and Wicca, tarot card readers with scientists and men of learning and study. After summoning by Nebuchadnezzar, the wise men, warlocks, and advisors start showing up, followed by the astrologers. Daniel 2, 3. And when they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we'll interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turn into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, Let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Imagine the king just in a foul mood at this point. And I don't, I mean, Nebuchadnezzar is like off the handle. I mean, he, he, he's in a foul mood and his response is screaming. Daniel 2, 8. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You've conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. Now, the astrologers come back and they're, they're 
they're backpedaling and they're they're talking softly they're getting terrified the astrologers answered the king there is no one on earth who can do what the king asked emma stop there and just say no one on earth has ever done this before at this stage in the game of history no king however great and mighty has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer what the king asks is too difficult no one can reveal it to the king except the gods and they do not live among humans this made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of babylon i mean he must have just went into a screaming fit ordered his soldiers to grab their swords and to kill him at the moment i don't know exactly how this went down but um, in daniel 2 13 so the decree was issued to put the wise men to death and this will include daniel and men were sent to look for daniel and his friends to put them to death when arioch the commander of the king's guard had gone out to put to death the wise men of babylon daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact he asked the king's officer why did the king issue such a harsh decree Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel, and at this, Daniel went into the king and asked for more time so that he might interpret the dream for him. So Daniel learns that he and his friends would be put to death, and he wisely approaches the king. We don't have the words of this approach to the king, but it must have been with great grace, basically, because uh, the astrologers failed and their death warrant was issued. But Daniel somehow persuades the king for a little bit of time. He didn't make excuses and say he couldn't do it. He just asked for time. It states Daniel went into the king and asked for time to interpret the dream for him. I imagine Daniel was extremely careful with his words, unlike the others. And he asked only for time to interpret it, not to stall to get the dream for him. Instead, it was literally time to seek his God. Daniel had great favor at this stage already from his testing previously, proving to be ten times sharper than his peers. So he had a reputation and a door into the king, and by approaching the king with a reputation that he had already had and sealed with the king, the king was more willing to agree to what Daniel was saying. Second Daniel 17. Then Daniel, Daniel 2:17. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the manner to his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Okay, I think this is really cool. Got his friends together and told them to pray. What a community he had. Four faithful praying friends. You three pray and, I, and intercede as I approach the throne of God to besiege him. Daniel was required to do something no one in history had ever done before. But don't you know, this was just a God setup. God was going to do this, and Daniel was going to be his instrument to do it. All Daniel had to do would, would be to be obedient, to seek the Lord, and for God to fulfill wonders through him. Daniel 2.19 During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. 
I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you, and you have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. Arioch gladly received the news. Now Daniel was bold. He could have been killed at any moment for approaching the king if he was even slightly incorrect. Daniel 2.26 The king asked Daniel, also called Belshazzar, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in your bed are these. See the articulation of his speech and how wisely he's chosen his words. Daniel had been trained in public speaking and fine arts, literature, and the skillful use of words. These guys are masters of these things. And Daniel and his friends are become masters of literature and learning, even engineering and architecture. Daniel continues. Daniel 2, 29. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come. And the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation, that you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a large mountain and filled the whole earth. Okay, Daniel, what a revelation. No one has ever done this in history up to this point, and now he interprets it. And not just that. I mean, it's just, it's a dream for a king. It's it's telling of future generations and kingdoms, world empires. Oh my. I mean, for the history guy, freaking out time. I mean, this is awesome. Like, we're going to actually know who's coming next. And then looking back in time, we're like, he nailed it. Um, and then the end of the age. So all of these things are, well, I better just tell you the rest here. And then we'll talk about it. Daniel 2, 36. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he's placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. After you, another kingdom will rise, inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. 
And just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron to it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. And as the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. And in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut of the mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor in order that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. I imagine as Daniel recalled and interpreted the dream, the Holy Spirit fell upon Nebuchadnezzar, causing him to be overwhelmed by the power of God. And he acknowledged God as all-powerful and he even promotes Daniel. And I imagine that the Spirit, as it kind of confirms words to us in this New Testament age, like the, the rhema words, or you're reading the Bible and all of a sudden one sentence is the only thing that seems important at the time. It's it's that confirmation that Nebuchadnezzar must have just felt in his, I don't want to say spirit, but I he must have just felt it because the Holy Spirit was confirming it to him um, and confirming this moment as a, a, a perfect holy witness of interpretation of this dream. Daniel 2, 48. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all the wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. So let's conclude this episode with a discussion of this revelation given to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is a king, and when God speaks to kings, he reveals aspects of kingdom. God speaks to people within the sphere of influence that they're in. In this case, it's the kingdoms to come. The revelation spoken to a person is when the context of who they are, or the context of their calling or their position, or sphere that they're in, or the mountain that they're in, however you want to look at it. Since Nebuchadnezzar is a king, the revelation is about kings. Proverbs 16.10, the lips of a king speak as an oracle, and his mouth does not betray justice. Apostle Paul went after something interesting about kings and kingdoms, and now God's actually into defining nationalities and locations. Acts 17.26, from one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Want to know about the future of kingdoms? Hang out with kingdom men. Hang out with kings. 
See what God is saying to the kings. Here we are, Nebuchadnezzar has a vision of a statue and kingdoms to come. Daniel interprets it prophetically, and we are off on a prophetic research study. There's a statue with a head of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet of partly iron and partly baked clay. And while you were watching this, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. I get the feel the statue was shattered with horrific force and it left an indelible imprint in his mind. And the, the force rattled Nebuchadnezzar to the core. His heart and emotions remembered the force and impact to him, almost like trauma. But the memory of the moment in his dream and the pictures and what he actually saw escaped him. I mean, it's almost funny. He's got the 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 violence of his dream is was in it startled him and scared him, but the vision of it left him. This was the issue to Nebuchadnezzar, and, and maybe it's like a, a child, you know, like experience something horrific like a, a car accident but they can't remember it but the trauma affected them their whole life or you know something it, it, there is probably some science to it uh, but it was also the lord you know um causing this in nebuchadnezzar so that he would seek someone like daniel to find god's answer his heart and emotions remembered the force but the memory escaped him so this was the issue to nebuchadnezzar now that daniel shows him there's so much more, though, to it. I love the Bible miniseries, Moment of the Scene. They make Nebuchadnezzar a bit crazy with pride and anger issues, yet li likable in the same way. And when Daniel tells him the interpretation, he says these words. He goes, destroyed by God. It's kind of cool, but that's not the true case. The armor and decorations of the statue are the nations to come, and it's quite accurate, actually. Gold is the Babylonians because their empire was incredibly wealthy. The next empire to come is less than 100 years from now will be the Persians, and silver represents them. And, and you can actually see through history how um, these metals are accurate. The Greeks show up in the form of Alexander the Great, and the bronze was their armor of choice. After Alexander the Great, there was no true large domineering empire until the Romans show up with their iron weapons and armor. And iron is always synonymous with Rome. Soon after the great rock, God himself destroys them all. But before that, we get a prophetic glimpse of the future. The feet are the future countries and are empires of the world, not one dominating the globe again like the Babylonians, Persians, Greeks, or Romans. The feet like clay represent the democratic states in the world. At least that's an interpretation. And the iron, the autocratic states of the world. Other interpretations have the toes as the ten kingdoms of the end of the age from Revelation 17. And this is probably the most favorable interpretation with some democratic states in line and other autocratic states forming a ten kingdom alliance with the future Antichrist at the end of the world. Revelation 17:12. The ten horns you saw. This is referencing a to Apostle John's vision, 
and and it's a description of this great beast that he saw with horns coming out of it and, and now the interpretation comes the ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast they have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast they will wage war against the lamb but the Lamb will triumph over them because he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And with him will be his cho called, chosen, and faithful followers. So these, this reference to horns uh, that Daniel's going to have a lot to in dreams and visions are kingdoms or empires. So here you are, you've got these ten horns on this great beast. Um, and this beast is the Antichrist. And these ten horns now represent kingdoms or empires. And you've got now referencing back to Daniel, these ten toes that come together in the final end time. And in a moment to come, in an age to come, in the end of the age, Jesus conquers all of the machinations of the world and brings about his kingdom. Revelation 19.11 I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And it goes further. And it says, basically, like a sword coming out of his mouth, in the fields of Armageddon, God defeats all of his enemies. And Jesus, on his white horse, brings about the end of all darkness. So what does this mean to us today? First of all, God truly knows the past, present, and future. Don't doubt it. Bronze in so many ways represents Greece. Iron is truly the Roman legions. What follows is... What really concerns us today, though, it's prophetic implications. So let's cover it. The Ten Kingdoms. What does this mean? The Ten Kingdoms can represent a lot of different things. And I don't claim to be any authority, but most Revelation scholars point to the world at the end of the age. Pre, post-rapture, that's of course up to debate. But the Ten Kingdoms are those, those kingdoms, and it's interesting how you've got some of clay, and, and a lot of them point to like, you know, those are your democratic republic type states uh, where people rule by democracies and such. The autocratic states and the ones of iron are like, you know, um, those with kings today. Those, um, those that might have like kind of a um, uh, people that don't really vote, but they might really vote, but the king makes all the decisions. That's still an autocratic state. In the end... However it happens, um, the beast um, pulls together, and maybe there's ten regions that become kingdoms, 
you know, like you see this one world movement. Uh, what if you end up with um, 10 regions or what if all these countries merge because of this desire for one world government, one world currency, and to the point where well, you can't get there completely. So maybe you just end up with 10, you know, 10 regional um, authorities or something over tiny states um, that were once countries in the end, but you end up with 10 and then they report to one person um, who is the one who's manipulated it all so that he could rule the world. That's some of the theories that are out there on how these 10 kingdoms are there. Um, it's interesting, but so many things have to happen <laughs> to even get to that point. And, you know, I, I don't know if I've ever heard this before or we just made it up, but uh, Revelation is God's one million piece puzzle. And um, it's so complicated and there's so many things and um, we could all think one thing and then God surprises us and we look backwards like, oh, that's what you meant. Um, or all the circumstances change so quickly uh, that we would have never imagined countries and worlds and boundaries would look this way. And all of a sudden they do. Or then you have a rapture mixed in there. You have so many different things. Um, but for to kind of just wrap this up, um, Daniel saw it all. Um, actually, it was Nebuchadnezzar who saw it, and then Daniel got to be a part of it as well. Um, John has a, a, a vision of the future, the Apostle John in Revelation, um, and he sees it too. So many, so many prophets are going to get pictures of the end, and and still no man knows the time or the hour um, of the true rapture, um, which is only a part of the end. So, but this is the time that God has set aside for the judgment of the earth. Uh, and it's also a time set aside for him to change the age, um, change, the, change the world as we know it. There's supposed to be a fire that comes and burns up everything. Um, is this a real fire in our planet? Does it look the same? I don't know. Um, but is it an all-consuming fire that burns away every dross and all the sin um, and everything that's of faith remains, maybe. <laughs> so many pieces. So um, as we go through these sections on Revelation, we're gonna have fun, and we're gonna we're gonna cover these and cross reference as much as we can. Um, so maybe by the time we're we're done with these podcasts, um, we'll have such a uh, perspective that when we do Revelation uh, one day, um, it'll we'll be able to come back. To what we've looked at um, in Daniel and other areas and, and bring it maybe more life. In the end, the rock of the ages, Jesus comes and shatters all the dreams of the wicked.